0: Welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. If there's a beginning and a middle, then there will be an end. Knowing there's an end brings the middle into proper focus. Teaching team member Caleb Click continues the series The Gift and The Giver with this sermon entitled Time, which covers Psalm 90. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at Perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today.
1: For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Amen. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, reveal your holy eternal word to us and introduce us to the knowledge of your will. Where we have erred, correct us. Where we are wounded, heal us. Where we are needy, fill us. Good shepherd, lead. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Gracious Father, we ask now, would you take this time and would you show us Jesus? Would you work through me in my weakness and would you show us Christ in all of his sufficiency? It's in his name that we pray, amen. Recently, I was listening to an interview by one of my favorite authors, a woman named Min Jin Lee, and if you don't know that name, she's perhaps most famous for her novel, Pachinko. It was a finalist for the National Book Award, it was turned into an Apple TV television series, which I haven't seen, but supposedly is pretty good, and in this interview, something was revealed about her that I didn't know. She had not started her career as a writer. Instead, she had started her career doing something else entirely. She had been in corporate law. She'd gone to undergrad at Yale and then had gotten her law degree at Georgetown and then she had gone to New York City to work in a corporate law firm and she was doing what many of us are doing, she was pursuing the American dream. She was thinking, my parents came here from Korea with nothing, I'm going to establish myself, I'm going to make as much money as I can, I'm going to have the successful life, I'm going to accomplish these things, and then two years in. After all of that time in undergrad and in law school and in those two years, after two years in, she abruptly quit and invested herself instead in writing a book. And the interviewer asked her, why? Why did you leave a job most people would have killed for? Why did you leave that to chase a dream about writing a book? And Min Jin Lee's response was simply this, because the doctors told me I was going to die. They told this 20-something-year-old woman that she had a liver disease that was going to kill her by her 30s. And so Min Jin Lee, realizing perhaps for the first time that her days were actually numbered, she decided if she only had a few years left, she was going to invest them in something that she thought mattered. As she said in the interview, a part of me always felt like death was chasing me and I felt like I had to get all this done. Min Jin Lee is 53 years old now. She's written three books. Her liver disease is under control, but that experience, it opened her eyes to a reality that most of us, while we know is true, it's a reality most of us want to ignore. That time No matter who you are, time for us, it is not this thing of which we have an infinite supply, rather our days, our days are numbered. You know, Blaise Pascal has this really morbid but memorable illustration, he says, if you want to understand the human condition, it's basically this. Imagine a bunch of men in chains in a dungeon, all of them sentenced to die. And then every day someone comes in and just arbitrarily kills someone along the wall and you have to watch it, and then they leave and you wait the next day wondering which day is gonna be your turn. That, that is the human condition, cheer up, it's great, you're gonna die. Now we hear that, some of you are out there hearing this and going, Caleb, that is the most morose, morbid start to a sermon I've heard in quite some time. Blaise Pascal probably needs a therapist, not to be quoted. But he's not wrong, is he? I mean, every day we are given more and more reminders that this life that we have, it is a fleeting, ephemeral thing. You heard it in the prayer that Jimmy just prayed as we mourned the loss of people that were a part of this congregation that we knew and that we love. I got a reminder this week when my little sister texted me to say that one of our childhood friends, someone I hadn't spoken to in almost 20 years, that they had passed away at the age of 36 and left behind three kids. It doesn't matter if you're 16 or 60, it doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor, it doesn't matter if you were successful or unsuccessful, it doesn't matter if you were religious or irreligious, it does not matter who you are, your days, your time, it is limited. And our lives, no matter how significant they may look to us, all of them, they are like sand castles that are one day going to be washed away by the tides of time. And so the question, the question that confronts every single human being across history and on this planet, it is simply this, what are we going to do in response to that reality? Should we just ignore it? Just put on our blinders and keep on moving and pretend it's not coming? Should we stare at it morosely in despair and just give up hope? Should we try to fill our lives with every bit of pleasure that we can get our hands on because we only have so much time to get it? Should we do what Min Jin Lee did and quit our jobs and write a book? Chase something significant, and if we do that, how do we know it's actually significant? How do we know it's actually going to last? What do you do with these fleeting lives lived amid this fleeting world? Now that's the question Moses is wrestling with in Psalm 90. And that's the question that God, by giving us this psalm in his word, he's inviting us to wrestle with too. What are you going to do with the days that God has given you? Psalm 90, Psalm 90 says, here's what you do. You remember death, not as an end in itself but as a means to remember God, the God who would give you a dwelling place in Him, who offers to His people these gifts of grace in Christ. The first gift is simply this, it's the gift of wisdom. You heard in verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. If you want to sum up the first 12 verses, that's the prayer. Give us God, give us wisdom we do not possess. You know, I remember an interview that I heard with David Letterman where he was being asked about why he was publicly talking about all of his very public indiscretions, these things that he had done terribly wrong. And David Letterman's response to that question, it was basically this, he said, you go through life one step at a time and two things can happen. You either get smarter from those lessons or you don't. And if you don't, you're a fool. And nobody wants to be a fool. None of us wants to be a fool. Nobody here is sitting there going, you know what I really want in life? I want to be on my deathbed and regret the way I lived it. I want to squander my days. That sounds like the best plan. No one's thinking that. I mean, the reason there's this lucrative industry where people will sell you ways to make your life better, more efficient, and more fulfilling is because none of us want to be that kind of a fool. All of us want, in some form or fashion, to be wise about the way we use our limited time. But Psalm 90 says, well, there may be wisdom in those things. You need something more. If you were to really deal well with the days that God has given you, you need wisdom born not of this world, you need the wisdom that birthed the world. You need wisdom that comes from above, the wisdom that God gives in Christ, and that wisdom tells you two very specific things. One, God is eternal and we are fleeting. I mean, these first six verses, they're just this jarring juxtaposition of two things where you're looking at them going, one of these is not like the other. There's man, ephemeral and fleeting, here one moment and gone the next. A sandcastle washed away by the tides of time. That's one. The other, the eternal and unchanging God. If we are proverbial sandcastles washed away by the tides of time, God is the reality that encompasses all of it. There was never a moment when he was not. There is never a moment when he will cease to be. He doesn't become something that he wasn't, he doesn't change, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, from everlasting to everlasting. Who is he? According to the text, he's God. Before he created anything, before He brought forth the earth and the mountains and everything that was in them, God was the dwelling place of his people, is the source of all that exists. He is the home for all that exists, and he will remain so into eternity. God is the one who has command over our lives. He says, rise from the dust and return to the dust. God is the one who's for him a year, a thousand years are like the passing of a day. They're a drop in the ocean of his eternity. That's God. And us? According to the text, we're dust. We are these things that God has given life to and then He takes life from. Our lives are like dreams. Those things that when you wake up, they've just slipped away into the ether of your memory and no matter how hard you try to remember what happened, you can't, they're just gone. They're like grass grows up in the morning and then is gone at the end of the day. Man, man is fleeting and God, God is not. And so you might be sitting there going, why in the world would Moses want us to see that? Because Moses wants us to sober up. You know, we know this is true. We know our lives are fleeting. but. We don't really want to face that, do we? You know, one of the things that I find myself saying far too often, and I hear others saying it often too, is I'm just really busy. You know, Mal and I will go to bed at night and just feel like we've just been running from the morning to the evening. We've got kids, and there's all these things we're supposed to go and be a part of. And our lives, here, you know, they're filled with soccer games and football games and, and gymnastics and school and uh, the chores that you have to do around the house. And when you do finally have those moments of peace and quiet, what do you do? You fill it with something. You turn on a movie, you turn on some music, you listen to a podcast. And very rarely in any of our lives you find these moments where there is actual peace and quiet and stillness. I don't think that's by accident. I think it's because we know that if we are actually still and quiet we are going to have to face what we are. That we are people who are here one moment and we are gone the next and God is giving us Psalm 90 because He does not want us to be fools. Because who's the fool? The fool is the one who thinks that they will always have another day. The fool is the one who lives like they're immortal, but notice this, that's not all the fool is. The fool is the one who thinks they can find an eternal and lasting home in this fleeting and passing world. It's the one who thinks they can find life in their the creation. And not in the one for whom, by whom, and through whom all things were made. God says that's the fool. But there's one thing more we need if we're to be wise. It's not just that God is eternal and we are fleeting, it's that we are sinful and God is angry. Now that. That is not something we like to talk about in the modern age. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? But that's the plain teaching of this text, and not just this text, but all of Scripture. I mean, look for just a moment at verses 7 to 11. For we, all of us, are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. There are things that we have hidden from others that are not hidden from God. Things hidden from ourselves that he sees and he knows because he is the one who sees and knows all things. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. They are limited and small compared to the thousand years that are for you a day. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who? Who considers the power of your anger? and your wrath according to the fear of you. Why do we live in this world of death? Why do we live in this world where our time, the little time that we have, it is so full of pain and sorrow and cancer and betrayal? Why is it so full of loss? God says, here's the answer. It is that all of us, from Adam and Eve on, All of us have exchanged the good God and his good world for a pittance of porridge. We have turned our backs on the one who loved us and who out of that love gave our lives and we have sought life not in him but rather in the things that he has made. And the fruit of that sin, it has been again and again and again death. It is a judgment from which none of us have an escape, and a judgment that when confronted with it, none of us can offer an excuse. And this, this is where human wisdom fails us, doesn't it? Human wisdom will admit that we're mortal. It'll confront the fact that one day we're going to die. What human wisdom resists or denies is the reality of God's judgment for sin. And herein lies the danger. If we do not confront that fact, if we don't face that truth, then there is a massive so what placed over everything that we do with our lives. So what? So what if you find the perfect spouse? So what if you ascend the corporate ladder? So what if you win the Super Bowl? So what if you live a life that is exemplary in the sight of others? So what if you have the perfect children? So what if you have all the right vacations and the beautiful house and the beautiful car? So what if you accumulate all the best things this world has to offer? So what? Because what good are they going to do you if at the end of your life all you have are things that are one day going to be plucked from your hands by death? and you are going to pass into eternity under the judgment of God that has been screaming at you through all the pain and the sorrow of this world trying to get your attention. And if verse 11 is true, who considers you, who considers, it says, your wrath according to the fear of you? In essence, to the degree that we have not feared God, to the degree that we haven't loved Him, to that degree we experience His wrath for sin then our pursuit of those things, not only will it not have helped us, it may have actually made the situation worse. Here's the gift of God's wisdom. Why has God given us this prayer? It's not because God, like some cosmic bully, wants to rub our face in our poverty. It's not because He wants us to see our sin and His wrath and despair. It's because he wants to lift our faces out of this world and away from its fleeting pleasures and its fleeting kingdoms and to see instead the eternal God who offers himself to us as our home. The one that Lamentations 3 tells us, for whom his anger is not natural but his mercy is. The one who in Israel sinned in the desert God spared and showed mercy, though they deserved death. The one who has shown us His mercy in Christ. Because what has that God done? In Christ, eternity is entered time, and immortality has put on mortality. And the one who knew no sin has become sin. And born in our place, the judgment of death. Why? Not to condemn us, as John 3 says, but to save, so that sinners could be forgiven and the dead could be made alive and those who have experienced the exile of this world because of sin could be restored to their eternal home. That's what God has done. Who is the one who is wise? It's the one who flees to Christ for the mercy he so delights to give. It's the one who sees in Jesus a treasure beyond all compare, something that is worth more than anything that this world has to offer, who says if it costs me my job, my life, my family, He is what I want above all other things because He is the one in whom life is found. It's the one who comes to God and says give me wisdom to deal well with these days. To faithfully live out of love for you and love for my neighbor in the places where you have called me, with the people around whom you have placed me, with the work with which you have entrusted me, in the time with which you have allotted me." Which brings us to this really uncomfortable question. If we were to take our days and spread them out before us and look at what has filled them, what kind of wisdom would it reflect? Would it reflect the wisdom of this world? that is passing and will ultimately lead to death? Or does it reflect the wisdom that birthed the world and would give you life in Christ? That's the one who's wise. That's the wisdom we need and that is the wisdom that God in His kindness that He would give to us in Jesus. But there's one more gift that God would give us, the gift of significance. You know, if the first twelve verses are this sort of downward spiral into the dark depths of man's condition, the, the final five are where the gospel light sort of breaks into the darkness. They're these expectant pleas to God, the same God who said return to dust to now return in grace and to heal, to fix, to restore everything that sin has broken, to peel back the effects of the curse because of the fall. And I say expectant because everything that is asked for in these final verses, these are things that God has promised to give, that God in His mercy and in His grace has come to Israel and said, here is the kind of God I am, and here is what I am going to do. Sin has broken this world that I made. You have sinned against me. You deserve death, but I am going to restore you. I am going to make you whole. And what do we find in this text? With every single plea that is made, there is in Christ a full and complete and total answer. Verse 13, we cry for mercy. God, show mercy to us as sinners. Have pity on us. And what do we find in Christ? The one who, because of the great love with which He loved us, now makes us alive. The one. As Romans 8 says, in whom there is therefore now no condemnation, we find freedom. We turn to verses 14 and 15, and we find this plea that God would come to us as weary travelers who are making our way through this broken world, who are tired and worn down. It is this prayer that, God, would you give us joy that is equal to the sorrow and the pain? If there is a scale, would you balance it? So that at least we can say, you have given us such good things that it is made equal to those things that have gone wrong. And what do we find in the Gospel? Not equality, but rather a gift of grace so overwhelming it makes all the pain and the sorrow look like a slight and momentary affliction. A God who in grace gives us an eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. Now we could do — I could have done two sermons on just those pleas. But the one I want us to sit in this morning, the one I want the rest of our time devoted to, it's the last one. And I think this is the one Moses would have you sit in too, because it is what God's people ask for in the last two verses, not just once, but twice. And what is it that it asks for? Significance. Look at the verses. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Work in such a way that it impacts not just this generation, but the ones to come, in a way that all would see that you are true and good and loving and merciful. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Who doesn't want a life that matters? Min Jin Lee abandoned a career that most people would have killed for because she just wanted to do something that felt significant. We all want that, don't we? I mean, why do we see all these athletes, these guys who are incredible, these men and women who are just incredible athletes struggle so badly when their bodies start to tell them it's time to let it go? Why do they seem to just keep on going even though it's kind of embarrassing to see what they've become? Why do so many of us struggle when retirement finally comes and suddenly that thing we've spent our life pursuing, is just gone? Why is it so unnerving When our kids grow up and they move out of the house and our house is suddenly empty. Why when we post something on social media do you have that, just that urge to check back and see has somebody hit like or at least reacted to it in some small way? It's because we are looking in this world for something, something that makes us feel like we matter. And we will invest our lives in these things for just this small little taste of significance. And yet, what's the problem? Time washes it away in the same way it washes away our lives. You know, I I don't know this because the text doesn't tell us, but I kind of wonder if this is Moses on the edge of the Promised Land. He spent decades investing in God's people. He has shepherded him out of slavery in Egypt and through the wilderness. He's dealt with their rebellion and he's dealt with their grumbling, and he's suffered. There's been toil and hardship, and now he's sitting there on the cusp of the promised land knowing he is not actually going to go inside. That he is going to die and God's people are going to go on without him, and I wonder if he is sitting there going, did it actually matter? Did these things that I did, are they just going to fall into the ground and die, or are they somehow, mysteriously, in God's grace, are they going to bear fruit? And this is where the Gospel just gets beautiful. Because just as with every other plea we find a full answer in Christ, with this plea we find an answer that is astonishing beyond measure, because what happens in Jesus? What is it Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15? The labor that we have done in Him, whatever it is in our lives that we have offered up to Him by faith and in love, what does 1 Corinthians 15 say? That labor was not in vain. Why? Because the same God who raised Christ from the dead, that God is at work in you. And He will raise not just your life, but your labors, and make them a part of Christ's eternal kingdom. Something of eternal significance. A little over a month ago, I had to go back to Texas, my home state, because my uncle Earl passed into glory. Um, It was quick. He had just retired about two years before, and he and his wife, Donna, they'd moved out to College Station, Texas, so they could spend their retirement near their grandkids, and, and my Uncle Earl also wanted to invest in college students at a church that his, uh, his son-in-law was working at. That was the plan. And then about a month ago, all those plans changed. Because he went to the doctor, and the doctor told him that the reason he was having trouble breathing is because he had stage four lung cancer. And the prognosis, within the space of about a week, it went from two years to two weeks to just a few hours. And my uncle, my uncle was gone. You know, by any earthly metric or standard, if you were to look at my uncle's life, it, didn't, it wasn't a particularly significant one. You know, the, the news media didn't fawn over him the way they did over Queen Elizabeth or the way they are now over Vince Dooley, great as both those people were. His death, it just came and it went. He wasn't a titan of industry. He wasn't a brilliant academic. He didn't invent anything that changed the world. He was a very simple man who worked with his hands. He built and he fixed pools his entire career and his body bore the scars. You know, if our lives are those sandcastles I keep mentioning, in the eyes of the world, his would look like a pretty small one. But he mattered to my family. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. The fruit of his labor, it will last far longer than those who in this life receive far greater applause. Because it was labor that was done. In Christ Jesus. Almost 50 years ago, the Lord turned my uncle's life upside down. He thought he was going to a course on New Age spirituality and discovered when he showed up that he'd been tricked. It was actually a Josh McDowell evangelistic talk. (laughs) And God wrecked him in the best way. He took a man who'd been running from Jesus and he showed him the beauty of the Gospel, that there was a God who loved even someone as broken and sinful as he was, and suddenly nothing, nothing else mattered but Jesus. He went home to his family, none of whom were believers, and he promptly just started telling them about Jesus because he couldn't contain what he'd found. And because of what he did, my mom came to Christ, her siblings came to Christ, and the entire trajectory of her family changed. And it didn't just affect that one generation, it affected the two that followed. The fact that I exist, and not just exist, the fact that I'm a believer and not just a believer, a pastor, is because of what God did in the life of my Uncle Earl. The fact that my little girls get to grow up in a home that loves Jesus and rejoices in the gospel, that they are getting to grow up as covenant kids, it's because of what God did to my Uncle Earl. The work that God did through him, it is still bearing fruit. And it didn't just change his words, it changed the very character of his life. It showed in the way he loved his wife and his two daughters. It showed in the way he loved my mom and her siblings and even all of their kids scattered though we were across multiple states and multiple cities. It showed in the way he pursued me when I was lost and wandering in college just to comfort me and care for me and tell me there was a God who loved me. It showed in the way where decade after decade, this man who worked a hard job would spend his evenings working with middle school, high school, and college kids because he wanted them to know the love of Jesus that he'd found. It showed in the way that he did his work way he built pools because he did it out of love for God and love for those that he was serving and he did it with excellence and integrity as an offering to the God who had loved and saved him. That life isn't going to make headlines. But I will say this, that is a life, a life lived in Christ upon which God has bestowed eternal significance. Not because my Uncle Earl was great, but because Jesus is. And here's the beauty of the Gospel, it is that same gift that God in Christ would offer to every single one of us. The God who can raise the dead. The God who has raised the dead in Christ and will one day raise us in full, that same God is also able to take our sandcastle lives and make them eternal ones. Living stones incorporated into Christ and his eternal kingdom, something that time will never be able to wash away and will continue long after time has ended. When we enter into God and his eternity, the one who from everlasting to everlasting is. And where does all this begin? By turning our eyes from this fleeting world and its fleeting kingdoms, and lifting them to look on Christ in his eternal one. And asking him to give us the gifts he so delights to give. To say together, teach us to number our days, that we would get a a heart of wisdom and establish Establish the works of our hands, amen. Gracious Father, we are so thankful for a God who loves broken people like us. A God who takes these fleeting lives and turns them into things of eternal significance, Lord, not because we are great, but because you are. And we ask, Lord, would you make us wise, not according to the wisdom of the world, but wise according to the wisdom that birthed the world. Would you fix our hearts on Jesus, Would his beauty ravish us? And would he so change us that our lives, Lord, would be living, breathing testimonies to the goodness of God and the kingdom to come? Would you do this in his precious name? Amen. Let's stand and let's worship our God.
0: You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.